Hello, and welcome to the What Type Ones Eat podcast. I'm Daria. I'm Andrew. And we're delighted that you have decided to join us for season two. In this series, we will be speaking to professionals from the diabetic industry, researchers, doctors, dietitians, and people in the public eye. The aim of this podcast is to equip you with strategies based on their research and experience and to help you make the best choices for you to live life to the full with your diabetes. Before we start, we just want to remind you that nothing on this podcast is intended as medical or nutritional advice, and you should always consult your diabetes team before you make any changes to your management. Today, we have Dr. Char on the podcast. She is a counseling psychology specialist, specifically in diabetes. She has over 20 years of experience and is extremely knowledgeable about all things mental health and diabetes. We are super excited and please welcome Dr. Char to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Char, and we're so happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm wonderful. It's so nice to be here. How are you? Good. Thank you. So I decided to invite you and introduce you to Andrew after I went on to your podcast, um, which we had a really great chat on. Um, But I just wanted to introduce you to my audience now. So could you tell us who you are and what you do and where you actually are from as well? Well, this accent is in the middle of Nashville, Tennessee, (laughs) and the Appalachia part of it uh, originated in West Virginia. So I never lost too much of that, but uh, 48 years plus, I've dealt with diabetes. And by the time I could go to college, I had decided I wanted a uh, long story with that, but I decided I wanted to help people with their mental health that I later even knew was that terminology. But behavioral health was not even a popular term then. So doctors didn't necessarily prefer to refer uh, diabetes patients, and I've always been a little slanted toward the diabetes realm. So what I do is face-to-face for a hundred years now, it seems, face-to-face seeing uh, patients. And as the years progressed, um, I've done it for diabetes patients, not solely and primarily, but that's my love. And so now I'm trying to create a world in a space that is so new to me. And, um, and I guess that is because um, of having it 48 years, right? <laughs> you can put all that together, <laughs> but that's what I do. And that's the why. So the space you're creating is? Well, right now I'm trying to build a community. That's one thing my little team is doing. And um, little tiny 30 second videos. Oh my goodness, for TikTok, is that not a hard thing? T- send me somebody with uh, suicidal ideation and I'm your girl, but put me on a, th- <laughs> a 30 second TikTok. <laughs> and so I'm trying to build a community. And right now we're working on like um, an ebook. Um, we've been trying to understand what people want in my space so that I provide it appropriately. 
And my dream, and I'm working on a clinical study right now uh, with an endocrinologist that I work with. And so we're going to put people, we're on the protocols right now. We're going to put people with regular care and people with the Dr. Shar methodology and regular care. And we're going to uh, prove, we're going to prove that it helps and it helps us get better and stay vibrant and enjoy through this process. So that's the goal. And then I have a little dream of an app, Dr. Shar in your pocket, so that you don't have to wait. I'm that girl that you have to wait for a week. And if the person is popular, you have to wait longer than that for an appointment. And boy, this, this space is so good. Um, that how can I at any age at any time, avoid it just because I'm not familiar with it. So here that's, I am. <laughs> that's incredible. You look like you're really up to something very novel, well, kind of novel in this area as well, but also something really amazing because, well, I think I, we spoke about this on your podcast, but you know, I've struggled with a lot of mental health issues and I speak about it quite openly in general. Um, and it, I think it's amazing because there are a lot of people who are just even afraid to reach out. And the fact that you have to wait after you reach out is really heartbreaking and really difficult. So I think that's really cool that you're doing this. Well, thank you. I was going to ask you, you kind of skimmed through the Dr. Char method. Do you mind diving a little bit into what that is? Well, um, I don't want to give all my secrets away. No, no I am not asking I'm, you for all your secrets. <laughs> just like I'm a just overview. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, it's my wonderful sense of humor. Um, you see me, I'm being sneaky here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I really believe that habits work until they don't. Motivation comes and goes. Willpower has a battery. And the whole world that I live in teaches us to manage all that. And for me, I believe in reversing anxiety. I believe there's a path to do that. I believe there's a, um, I believe we're the boss of our emotions. I believe thoughts are suggestions, but 60,000 of them a day, they're not all commandments. And so I believe my methodology summed up is that pathway to better care for ourselves. And just like it's popular now to say uh, food is medicine in your world, um, it's, it's also good to understand in my world that our brain is meant, was given to us to go get what we want. Now you get me started and I can't stop, but it's <laughs> meant to go get what we want and bring it to us. And yet we feel victimized because mental health was never popular to talk about we didn't learn and and some some of us learned how to help people sit in it and and manage it and not feel bad about it but um how do we get off our bottom side and and take charge and be better for it and against it yeah, because I think what you are also saying here is that managing it is one thing, but actually feeling good about yourself is a completely different thing, uh, which I was actually never kind of taught when I was small. And I thought that you just have to suck it up and do it, you know, and that didn't really lead me to a, a great place. And then learning to actually 
feel good made a huge difference to me. So, well, one of the things is like, we can hear all these voices that we can have all these perspectives in our own head. We can be in one day, I can be a victim. I can be a bully or I can be a chicken. All those voices come at me, but nobody taught me that. I, and it was almost looked down on. If I taught others, it almost was like lacking compassion for their illness, if you will. But the truth is I'm not a victim. I'm not a chicken. And I'm not a bully and none of those benefit me, but my true voice is what my brain has brought to me. And that's the full knowledge to take care of my mental health. And um, that doesn't mean there's not issues. That doesn't mean there's not illness, but yeah, the Dr. Shar methodology, that's the route I go. I see. So I kind of want to ask you this question. I don't even know if you'll have an answer to it, but do you think that mental health and mindset are kind of the key in diabetes control? Um, I've got mixed feelings there because of my own, uh, so I don't know. Um, I have mixed feelings because when we have a high or a low, and that's different with ones and twos, but uh, when we have a high and and or we have a low it affects our mood our and of course that affects our behavior and so that can constantly change so we have to get pretty slick we have to get pretty doggone good at knowing our own mental health but our brain um we can be the director of it. It's like a computer system. And we get downloaded from those that nurture us or sad to say those that don't. When we're seven or eight, we start downloading our own software. And so we get our beliefs from all that. And yes, the answer to yes is I believe we can change our beliefs, align our thoughts, work with our emotions and behaviors happen as opposed to what we do in what I call uh, this new age, this new world, these new gals that are doing it. <laughs> and we start with behaviors and we try again until our willpower is deplenished. But yes, we can work starting with our brain and absolutely have good control. The issue is there's a constant difference. That's why what you do and what I do lines up. If we can do the nutrition thing really well, and it's still up and down, you know how, but if we can do that really well, and we then understand our brain and understand our emotions and work with all of that well, absolutely, I think, um, I think I have a tad bit of knowledge or I hope to add to the body of knowledge just enough for that, just enough to have belief. If I leave uh, all of this behind and just somebody in the future gets it so that patients coming up as little girls and little boys understand they do have some control that I am like, I'm all in. I think yeah, I that think does make a difference. I think you're so right because it's sort of like a loop. So the blood sugars affect you on a chemical level and then that affects your mood on a chemical level. But then if your mood is all over the place, then your blood sugars are affected. And then it just becomes this whole 
huge loop, which it, it is really difficult to get out of. But I think that's why we kind of, why you say everything aligns, like both like nutritionists or dietitians, medical professionals, psychologists, everyone needs to work together to help people because otherwise it's just not going to work. Um, I We often talk with this, um, with Andrew about this. I We kind of think about diabetes as this triangle. So we have nutrition, exercise, um, insulin, well, well, medication, whatever the type is, and then mindset and sort of mental health in the very center, because if you don't have the mental health in place, then everything kind of goes wrong, but it's all codependent at the same time. It is all codependent, but what you have today is the acceptance. You can get on here and talk about mental health and people accept it really great. That's the age we're living. That's the beauty of today. And the mental health, the thoughts are affected, are affecting your chemistry the very same way. Well, not the same way, but as much as the blood sugars in your bloodstream, it affects the chemistry. So that's why, um, that's those things that I think have, have not been talked about loud enough and long enough, and maybe lacking a little Southern draw. I'm coming with it. I'm coming. <laughs> Dr. Shah, do, yes. do you, do you hear, hear um, the question I have is whether there is a fundamental difference between men approaching you and women approaching you and the numbers? Actually, it's getting better. But even, um, even when you deal with children, parents will be involved but it typically, now again, you're talking to an old lady. And so my history is all history, but primarily you end up working with moms. And when men and women are diagnosed, I hear such, and I read and I watch podcasts and I see things where men are getting so involved. And I'm so thrilled with that because I think where they were taught to suck it up emotionally in all kinds of other ways, I you know, I don't have any stats for this, but my opinion is that's what they did with diabetes as well. So I think it's more women. Um, I would say it's quite interesting. And I think gut, the gut feel for everyone listening will be that there will, there would be more women approaching and looking for solutions in this way, but it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because the community can be a savior. And for, for Daria and I, we've both spoken about the fact that it really helps us to talk to other people that are diabetic and understand other people. But there's a lot of judgment out there. There is also a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people on social saying, um, it, it worries me what, what they're seeing and the, the, con the complexity with what they're seeing and the consistency of everyone having really good blood sugars and living a perfect life. That's not, that's not appropriate, is it? So this is what I'm saying. There's a double-edged sword to a community. You, you have to promote the, um, the positive sides and try, and try and work with the negative sides. Do you see, the, do you see people approaching you saying, actually, I, I, I'm seeing everyone else and they're all really good and they're doing really well? Well, yes, of course, there's that, um, there's that group of people that have lacked in having these kind of conversations and, and especially those that have been diagnosed for a while feel that way. Everybody, you know, I've been labeled as a Pollyanna. I'm far from a Pollyanna, but I will tell you, Cinderella went upstairs 
and slept by a dying fire because some woman came in after her parents died and told her the house didn't belong to her. And so when people come to me, I do my best to not make it seem or feel like everything is all wonderful. And that's why when she asked me the question a minute ago, um, can we control it? Can we have help? Can we do it with a mindset? I'm very mindful about slowly answering because of that very issue. Others look on at Facebook and it's easy to present your best side and then get off. And now what do I do? So yes, I believe that is, that is one of the things we have to, we have to explode and make sure that we say that it's not all, you know, um, Peaches and cream, sad, sad analogy right there. <laughs> Peaches and cream for a podcast with diabetes. I but mean, I, we can eat anything, can't we? So <laughs> it's totally fine. Oh, but um, but I do believe that we're living in a space where more men are coming about and there is a better understanding that it's certainly not a perfect world. I don't know how any diabetes patient could get on a podcast, maybe misunderstood, I hope misunderstood, because I can't understand why anybody could present how easy this is and how what step one two and three and you can fix it do you know that I could do mental health in my space and leave the diabetes out and easily put my IP out there if I left diabetes out because of that one thing it changes tomorrow tomorrow nothing it might change in 30 minutes yeah it's yeah can I ask you on the back of that well, obviously you need to take care of your mental health and you need to be always present, present with your patients. What do you do when you're high or low in appointments? Um, could I give you a personal story that says I had a stroke oh, with a patient sitting in front of me? Oh my God. And I withheld, thank God. They, now they said it's a major stroke. It wasn't a TIA, but because I knew my body having all the symptoms that you deal with day in and day out all your life, I had that, I was grateful for that inside of my own body until I buzzed the office manager. I said, come, I stepped out the door. I said, take care of this patient, send her home. And I went down the hall to my friend, the endocrinologist. And I said, somebody triaged me. I need to see the doctor. And I was right there. So I have a lot to be thankful for. But I go to that extreme to tell you, we walk in. I took my insulin for my breakfast. And before I got in here, I'm thinking, okay, what? it's just what we have to do. I'm like, okay, I don't need to drop. How much insulin did I take for that one half a piece of Ezekiel bread that four uh, smashed raspberries and how's my insulin going to do while I'm on there because it might not show up to you and then again I'm always concerned when I lose my words when it goes low I'm like my brain just kind of goes to bed and I'm sitting here looking at you 
<laughs> yeah, I feel something. it's like with everything, isn't it? So in any meeting you go into, you just you if you're low, you're a little bit spaced out a tiny bit not there. And yeah, it's just part of it. It's just what you have to deal with. So I've had to learn to I said the most extreme thing that happened to me. And then then the everyday happenings are just coming to talk to you and and making sure I've done the best I could. And still, I can't guarantee it. I just have to do the best I can. And um, and then I'd be grateful for what I have. I think none of us. I'm saying none of us can really guarantee that we'll be full present all the time that we want to be. So we just need to kind of bear the consequences. And just to echo that, I was actually going to say the brain plays tricks on us, doesn't it? And and when your <laughs> bloods are fine, your brain is com- you're completely compass and, and you can make decisions and your mindset can still be um, affected in a bad way. But when you're high or when you're low, then I find, and I've always explained to people that your brain sometimes can play tricks on you and you do things that, and you say things that may, is not your normal self. And, th- and that's a lot to do with your mindset again. And yet, and so doctor, can you just explain if it's okay without giving us too much information of, about your methods? <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, if you, could you just explain is, is, is your teaching about, about consistency and slowly building up to build some resilience and to, and to understand, or is it actually, look, here's a few t- tricks that you can try or that's what I'm trying to understand. Is this kind of a program that you have to learn over a, a long period of time? Well, right now, the program we're trying to condense it to, you have to understand I have over 30 years sitting face to face. So when somebody is sitting in front of me trying to write down and generalize my IP, you can imagine I give Susie Q whatever problem she brings to me, I give her the same solution, but it's in whatever analogy that I, I know it just comes out now. And so when you do that a thousand times over and somebody's trying to generalize it, you can imagine my team right now that that's probably not the easiest path, but yes, we're trying to get it down to a, um, like for our clinical study, we're trying to make sure that it's within six to nine weeks. And the goal is to put that first half, the clinical study is like me teaching online and me doing some uh, one-on-one answering questions as we go. So they can learn the process that they might need to learn to walk through this and generalizing it is the tough spot because we all are individuals and I'm so attuned to that. But then the second half is to let them go through the same program on the app and let's see how that works and if that works the same and if that so yes we we're trying to we're really working hard I feel like I'm talking outside myself right now but we're really (laughs) working hard to make that Dr. Shar program weeks and not years but yet you have to have enough time to process the information because we're going to have you look into what you believe reframe it if it's not working for you and align only the thoughts that work and know how to know yourself know yourself better and manage the things that need to be managed and literally change the things and know for a surety that when a habit fails because your environment changed 
when walking didn't happen because it rained too hard this morning, whatever it is, the habit that you still are in control of your, um, you're the director of the program and how to get back on. And, and so it does take a few weeks, but we're trying to minimize how long it takes so that we can speed the process. Dr. Char, and your program, so I know often kind of behavioral and lifestyle interventions, so to speak, they include diet and exercise. Is yours purely based on sort of thought processes or does it include a little bit of tips on what to do in terms of exercise and diet? Well, that is that is the been one of the big questions in building a program. How do I be just me? and not touch on somebody else's level of expertise. And, and I don't want to, I can give you an example for me, but um, I want to stay in my lane. And so here's what we have learned in our research and trying to in the beginning stages now on these socials, people have anxiety. And when they want help from me, as it relates to diabetes, they're saying they need help with anxiety around food. Well, when I thought that through, I'm like, well, that's amazing. I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. This blonde, sure not natural. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, we have 119 opportunities to eat every day. We're making choices every day to eat it, to not eat it. And so now people are saying, I am having such anxiety, can you help me with that? So I don't have to go out of my lane to help people, let them present their need to me. There is enough help needed to go around for me to stay where I feel like I have, um, if I, you know, if I'm an expert in anything, it is in that area. And I don't want to go trying to tell them what to eat. I work on that every day myself. And we all get better as we go. And we always have you and someone else to go get that help. But isn't it interesting to you as well, that the anxiety and the stress that's around that people are beginning to identify that and asking for help with it? I think it's really good, to be honest. I think it's partially because of this eating disorder movement and like body positivity, whatever it is, um, whatever you want to call it, really. Um, and I was actually going to ask you about this. So I've seen you done research in some like eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors. Um, did that relate come from diabetes or was that a completely separate topic that you decided to look at? Well, because it was so secretive back then, I wore a mask long before a pandemic. I don't know about you guys, but I wore a mask. It was not popular what I was doing. So I went where it was popular and did what I could do. But see, I would, I would sneak or I would, with shame, not take insulin or I would... I would overeat hoping that as I was gaining wisdom, I'm not perfect. And so I would literally try to eat and eat and eat so that my blood sugar, so, you know, I wasn't doing good losing weight, not eating. So I would try to overeat. I was never anorexia. Anorexia was never my go-to binging. I have done a little bit. I'm not disordered eating has not been that problematic for me, but I was in shame hiding some of those 
um, acting out behaviors and trying my best to get to where I needed to be. Whether you said it was for the prom dress or not, I promise you that I have no condemnation for that teenage girl that has tried that because somewhere in her is trying to be normal. She's trying to get there. So did I do any of my studies? Have I done anything of my writings um, for those purposes in a secretive way, but not out and out open. I used whatever was acceptable in society. I'm just so glad now, number one, that it is okay to do it. It's okay to talk about it. And number two, I'm old enough not to give a dang. Okay. <laughs> that makes, <laughs> that is totally fair. Um, can I ask you, this is kind of a, I guess a bit of a weird question, but have you ever worked in like a clinical team that works with eating disorders or maybe like diabulimia, something related to that? Have you ever been in that setting? I've not been in a clinic. I've not worked as a team member. Again, um, I was already settled in what I did and in my lane when all of those things became popular. But oh, have I had the young girls to sit in front of me. And again, more girls than guys. And let me take on the ownership of this for a minute. I believe if I had known better, if the training had been differently, if my wisdom had been greater when I was younger, I could have recognized in guys what might have been a door I could open and helped them more. But because the training was so limited and I identified with what I saw in those arenas with girls, I, do, I want to accept that on my shoulders today that maybe I missed some opportunities with, with guys. Um, I remember one little boy that... Um, tried really hard. It tears me up to think about him. He was diagnosed at eight and he tried so hard to not be angry. He tried so hard to not be embarrassed. And yet he was avoiding his insulin and he was eating what he wanted. And I didn't know then he's one of the reasons I teach about the bully saying, nobody's going to tell me what I can eat. And I teach now about the victim that says, don't take the insulin because somebody's going to make fun of you and laugh at you. He's part of the reason I got to that space of teaching people to stand up and square your shoulders. But the eating, um, the eating, I think, can get to a level where you do need the professional help that you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, in, but I refer to out to that as well. Whereas mine is if I can catch when someone is just dabbling in it, like I did, and I can work with my program at the amenability level when they're first, um, going into that space, I can, um, hopefully help them see a turnaround before it gets to a full-blown eating disorder or diagnosable spot. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Um, I was kind of wondering, do you work with any type two diabetics or any other type of diabetes? Well, I do. And um, again, 
when you, I, in my private practice, uh, I'm a provider for insurances. And so people come to me outside of the diabetes range. And I guess you, un, I guess you wouldn't be surprised that everybody that walks in for an assessment, I ask them if they deal with diabetes or know someone that does. And so I know where they rank in that place from day one. And so I never leave that out. I just, I just can't. It's just my, but yes, I deal with type twos mostly when, uh, I like to say my focus is on, uh, newly diagnosed because my endocrinologist friend, he's been named the best in Tennessee three or four times. So I really believe in his, his work and he is my age. And on my birthday, actually, we share the same birthday. So he has learned and has taught me that the amenability is highest the first few months after people are diagnosed. I don't know, be it fear, be it shock, I don't know, but their amenability is greater. And then with type twos, we get another jump in amenability when insulin is being introduced. And so I do deal with type twos and I can do the same thing with anxiety and stress as I do with ones. The only issue is if food has changed your mood at this moment, uh, if you're two, it's probably high blood sugar. And if you're one, dad gone, if we ever know, it's going to be high or low. So you have a different thing to work with. And I don't think um, it has served me, but anything but well in that the diabetes in my own life gives me um, some insight when I'm working within my expertise on the emotional side of it. So yes, I can work with both. And I am a uh, member, I'm a, what do you call it? I'm a client in the University of Chicago with um, the Modi, Modi study. I don't know the name of it, but no, 150, Modi, well, there is Modi diabetes, don't know the study, but. But there's 154 blood tests they've given me. So while I'm not any of those 154, I'm not type two. And the three, as you probably know, is the um, memory, the Alzheimer's, that's what they're calling type three. And I'm not anything, and I'm thankful not to be any of those, uh, but, but they're identifying a little bit of uh, my one, they're uh, um, intensifying it, looking at that a little bit. So I'm, I'm just thankful to be a part of that for future work and how we can better help others and more people. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Andrew, do you have any questions? I do. Yeah. Following on from your, num your type twos that you've, that you've worked with, the question that we've actually asked a few other guests on the podcast is what are the top three problems that you, that, that you hear that people with diabetes are having? Now, obviously you name the first one, which is their anxiety with food. Is there two further problems that you're, you're finding? And is there a difference between type ones and type twos? Well, the type twos, I think everybody, when I say amenability, do I want to, or can I, can be spit out so easily and saying, well, they're not willing to work on their issues. I find very few that wants to be sick. I don't find very many people that doesn't want to get better. It doesn't matter what our label is. 
but with type ones, it's the, it's the, uh, if they're down emotionally, it's working to get them to their understanding, their amenability to engage with, I can do better. I can get this thing. I, you know, it's, it's, is done to me. I didn't ask for it. Not a lot to be, but there's a lot of work to be done, but in the mental health space, it's getting those, um, individuals that have come to me to not feel like I don't understand and I'm not clumping them into a type two arena where it's just about change your behaviors and change your diabetes. It's, it's that mental space that says I can, there is always something I might not be able to reverse my diabetes the way a type two can, but I can sure as heck make sensitive anything that's flowing well and doing well there. I can do it the best I can do it. And so that's the bigger piece for me uh, with ones is helping them sure them up, making sure whatever they tell me the team has told them to do, whatever their feelings of frustration is around that and helping them see that they can be their best them. A type two on the end, there's so much they can do. There's so much. So I think I find that a little easier and I see their amenability, but they also see it as a problem. And some doesn't see it as their, they believe it's an issue, but they don't believe it affects them until 30 years down the road. And we already know it's affecting us, but they don't see it as affecting them life and limb or eyes until 30 years down the road. So their issues are different and I have to watch my own um, inner self making sure I place no judgments on anybody and help them be their best self and call them to task as well and calling people to task is a real a real close line there too and um, yeah that's what I do but I think they differ and I think they're so much alike but um, I believe most either group wants the help. Um, it's just easier sometimes to want the chocolate cake over a normal blood sugar. Hey, who's not been there, right? But we can, like, we can also actually bull us for that. So we don't have to suffer that much from the consequences. Yes, it might be harder. Yes, it might take a little bit more practice, but I do solemnly believe that we can learn to manage any food if we want to manage it. Yeah, and uh, you're going to have a program where we can all uh, learn more about that too, aren't you? Well, yeah, probably in a couple of years when I qualify as a dietitian. <laughs> that, is, that is an amazing feat because when we hear you say that and we just run to it, um, we might not have learned enough. But when we grasp that, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our world. So, so you keep going. Don't you slow down. Yeah. <laughs> I am not planning to slow down. You don't worry, Dr. Char. <laughs> um, that, that, that was great. Thank you. That, that was a great, great answer to the question. Yeah, that the, the difficulty that, that we find is 
um, that certainly being type one, I find is there's so many things that can affect you. And there's so many problems that you that you have to suffer with. And, and maybe we spend a lot of a lot of time talking about the here and now, but we very often forget about the long term because the here and now is very difficult to deal with. And I imagine that's where the, the majority of your work is spent, which is dealing with the here and now and possibly not the longer term issues. Do you see that that changing over time? Do you, do you hear about long term issues very often? I already see the change in um, in thinking and and um, really it's it's because they can see it online. I mean, you can go to Google University and I know it's bad. I know there's so much wrong out there. I get it. And I know we have to have wisdom with it. But I had to pee on a stick. I mean, I didn't have a monitor on my phone that could tell me every five minutes what my blood sugar is. And so I have you never just ignored it and thought, ah, it's probably good. It's probably, I don't, I, you know, I can get by without even knowing. I mean, don't you ever now want to throw your phone through a window? It's like this. Phone I sometimes do. I sometimes <laughs> do. I'm not going to lie. It happens. And so, so yes, I see the future when someone comes to me with that mindset, you do understand by now, right? That I, I try to present an image. Is it, you know, we can't be a victim. We can't let a bully rush us around and we can't be chicken. And we can look into the future by looking at all the studies. It's not even hard. I used to have to go to this brick and mortar building and check out books. You don't have to do any of that. It just comes so easy to know what the future is going to look like in our world. And that gives us hope to work really hard today. And then there's the those of us like you two in your space and me and mine to also say, okay, enough of looking in the future. You're doing great or you're not doing so great. <laughs> then today you're taking all these things to stride and doing, and we can now say to them, now take a break, rest, just enjoy the day, just enjoy the moment of whatever that looks like for you. So, yeah, I believe there's been that big problem, but I do see it getting better. Yeah. And again, it's just the balance of life, isn't it? It yeah. is. It is. And uh, orthorexia, what is that phrase that was coined in 1990, I don't know, 95, 96, where yeah, anorexia, it's not that, but it's the balance of the other side of that. Hey, that balance is not just about a eating disorder. That balance is our disordered eating every day. That's not that shouldn't be labeled on us as this horrible big problem. It's something that is, can be tiring and it yeah. can be, but it's, uh, but let me tell you this old girl, I have good feet. I, I, I walk three and a half miles a day. I have good feet. I have eyes. They, they, these little black things around my eyes even make it even make me prettier. I mean, there's just things to, that we have to work on, but we literally can and thank, thank whoever you think, but outside of me, I'm thankful for 2021. 
Yeah, to be honest, like everyone says that this past year with the pandemic and everything has been a big waste. And I've actually think like I probably am one of those peoples who peoples people who came out of it a better person. Like I know so much more about myself and I just I listen to myself so much better and I do take care of myself, whereas before it was kind of suck it up and go. Um, and it stopped being that. So I don't think anything in your life can be a waste. And you should really think that everything has value. Um, and no matter how bad it gets, you know, it has value in your life for some reason, for some reason, it's there. Right, right. Um, when the pandemic started, we were just getting to be online with the counseling world. If you're licensed, uh, you don't get to go just coach because you want to. If you're going to encourage someone, you're going to be licensed in my world. And they wouldn't let us online on phone. And they were getting there the few years before they were getting there. But the pandemic came, we get to, and they can't go back. Like this. <laughs> Just overnight, it's a different world. My husband today is in a uh, counseling center with his computer set up and around the world he goes on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, counseling. He couldn't do that for all those years before, just in the state he had his licensure. Win-win. Hey, I call me a Pollyanna. I just think there's enough good to help us overcome, overcome whatever, and we can be the best we can do. We can be the best we can be and have joy and vitality in whatever our circumstances. Yeah, I think it's a great spot to end on. It's very positive and uplifting. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Char, for coming on and giving us this boost of positivity and sharing your knowledge, sharing Dr. Char's method. A little bit of an um, insight in that. Um, just thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed meeting you uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. And um, I'm delighted you're in this space and I'm cheering you on as you complete your education and as you are building your community already and uh, your little, your little uh, videos are amazing. And Andrew, it's Does everyone love my videos so much. They're so cute. You're just so cute. Uh, it's one thing to do what I'm doing. It's another thing to be cute and do it. I mean, I'm good at You're TikTok, there. you know, I am good at TikTok. I think you might want to hire me for that one. And you could be me. Would you be the Dr. Shar avatar? Well, might consider. Oh, and it's so good that um, I'm grateful that you guys um, invited me on. I think I came to London today and did nothing but go to my loft. <laughs> Good, good day. Dr. Shah, it, it certainly sounds like you're going to leave a legacy. So, and you're building a legacy. So, so yeah, keep it, keep us informed about how you're doing. And I'm sure I'll see you on TikTok before long. <laughs> Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We loved speaking to Dr. Char. She is so amazing and so upbeat. If you would like to find her and ask her some questions, find her on Instagram or on TikTok. We will link her social media in the show notes. And if you would like to find us, you can find Andrew at T1D underscore One Life and Daria at T1 Level underscore Daria. And also at www.t1leveldaria.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your podcast app and leave us a review. It really helps with the podcast getting out there and reaching more people. We hope you join us next week for the next episode.